You're listening to E-Commerce Marketing School presented by Privy. And a big thank you to our co-sponsors of the show, Suna and Hashtag Paid. You know what the biggest problem is with influencer marketing? Finding creators. You gotta search and scroll through thousands of them before you find them that makes sense. Not anymore. Hashtag Paid is the first matchmaking tool for brands and creators. All you gotta do is build your campaign and Hashtag Paid is gonna pair you with 10 creators who show interest in your brand. They'll even send you many pitches to help you pick your final roster. From there, you just hit the launch button. See which content creators are waiting to connect with you. Sign up at the link in the show notes. Welcome back, everyone. I think what's on everyone's minds these days is post iOS, a potential recession. You know, what does that mean for your ad budget? I know a lot of folks right now are thinking about budgets and and you may be in a tough spot. BFCM around the corner. I mean, there's like so much conflicting trends. And then, of course, renewed excitement around lifecycle channels like email and SMS own marketing. There's also a term that's being thrown around a ton right now. I don't want to call it a buzzword because it's really valuable, but zero party data, you've probably seen it thrown around. And I want to make sure we dive into what that is and where it fits in strategically for anyone listening. So today I'm here with Ashley Scorpio. She's SVP over at Hawk Media, one of the best paid ad and retention marketing groups out there for D2C. So Ashley, thanks for coming on. Excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, let's start with Hawk for anyone who who may have heard of you or, or not familiar, like, you know, who are you all? Sure. So Hawk Media is a full-service digital marketing agency and consultancy based primarily in the United States. We are fully remote since the pandemic. We have colleagues across 40 states here in the U.S. We also have teams in Canada and the U.K. as well. To your point, we do primarily specialize in D2C e-commerce. That is definitely our bread and butter and something we pride ourselves on being experts in definitely at the forefront of any of these constant changes that we see in digital marketing and media. And uh, yeah, we can help those types of clients with anything when it comes to marketing. I would say our tagline is one of the things we're most known for is your outsourced CMO. So of course, we can provide digital marketing strategy and that high level CMO level Uh, marketing expert to head up all things marketing, or we can just plug and play and patch into any little holes there may be or areas that might need supplemental support. Awesome. What would you say, like, we talked about D2C brands, but, you know, is there a stage or vertical that's really like a best fit type of brand for Hawk? Oh, definitely. So we're definitely best known for uh, supporting SMBs and startups, although we have worked with really big brands like Alibaba and Red Bull and K-Swiss and Crocs and and others. But we love working with uh, earlier upstart brands as they continue to grow, like The Sill or MeUndies, for example, or FabFitFun even. So uh, there's lots of different ways that we can support those types of brands, whether it's on the marketing side through our agency or through our revenue-based financing solution, Hawk Capital, or whether it's even through our fund. We eat our own dog food, we put our money where our mouth is, and we also uh, fund either D2C brands directly or MarTech AdTech SaaS that we feel that is the cutting-edge solution that we'd like to use for our clients through Hawk Ventures. Love it. I had no idea that you had revenue-based financing options and, and the venture side. That's really cool. and makes a ton of sense and hell of a roster. 
of brand names there. I love that. So let's talk about zero party data. What does that word make you think of? So for me, zero party data, I would take a step back from zero party data and just even like, how did we get here? To your point, it's become a bit of a buzzword that's being thrown around a lot. And I think it's important for people to understand why it matters and what they should do about it. So I would say this primarily started during the pandemic when Apple announced their changes starting with iOS 14 onward. And what they did there was in the spirit of privacy and putting the power back in the hands of the user and consumers, they decided to let people have greater control over their data. And of course, because iPhone, particularly in the US, is one of the biggest providers of mobile devices, um, it's a huge data source, which perhaps the average individual or consumer didn't realize. But with iOS 14 onward, Apple rolled out what they called ATT, App Tracking Transparency. And what this meant was, as opposed to opting out uh, from having all of your, your movements and your geo and all of your data tracked and aggregated, you had to opt in. So it went from polar opposites, basically, from the vast majority of people being opted in and a few having taken the option to opt out to the vast majority of people being opted out and very few choosing to opt in. Why this matters in digital marketing and in particular in advertising, which also dovetails nicely into what you were talking about, those owned and earned channels. But with those paid channels, this really affected the efficacy of advertising on any of those platforms because the vast majority of the data they were using was third-party data that they were garnering from app tracking uh, users across different devices and different networks like the iPhone network. So as soon as Apple rolled out these changes with iOS 14 onward, there was a massive degradation in data and we saw a huge spike in costs per actions across the board, across all the different paid search and paid social channels. So it wasn't unique to any one channel. It affected all of them equally. And basically anyone who was leveraging third-party data started having difficulty seeing a good return on their investment and their ad spend. That was the best backstory I've heard on the iOS debacle. Um, so Ashley, thank you for that. And just to like uh, further illustrate for listeners what that means to the end consumer right now. So I don't know if, if I recently downloaded an app, I forget what it was. Uh, now, like the first kind of modal on my iPhone, when I open that app comes from Apple, right? And it says, you know, do you want to permit this app to, you know, track your behaviors or something? I forget the language. And there's like three options. And the first one is, no, don't let it track me or something to that effect, right? And so like everything about the way that modal is positioned makes it a no-brainer for you, the consumer, to just click, don't track me. Like why, you'd have to like really want someone to track you, which sounds shady, right? So like we actually, we were just looking at some of our data across our, our network of privy stores, 100,000 stores, and we saw April, 2021, I think it was, or whatever, it was basically Q2 2021 when this first went in. And since then, we've seen steady decline in traffic for all the reasons that, that Ashley's talked about since then in, in site traffic for these merchants. Some, some are 15% year over year down, some are more than that. So it's, it's very real. Easily. And yeah, to your point, it's everything in that sort of pop-up 
is leading you to say no. And I believe the exact language is something along the lines of ask app, and sometimes they insert the app name, not to track. And otherwise, you just hit allow, <laughs> you know, allow or allow app to track. And you're thinking, why would I allow that? How does that benefit me? All right, so that's a good background. And so like that lack of data, what are the impacts of that, right? People talk about like, ROAS being down and CAC being up, like is that, is that what you're seeing? Absolutely. To be clear, it's the lack of that third-party data. So this is why it's important to talk about zero-party data, because there's actually four different primary types of data that you would usually have or think about when it comes to consumer or customer data. And historically, pre-iOS 14, the number one thing that most people would talk about would be third-party and second-party data, right? Some digitally savvy brands have been thinking about, at a minimum, first-party data for some time, but very few had considered, and I would say the rise of zero-party data was sort of born out of this iOS 14 onward crisis with the degradation of the uh, data given app tracking transparency. So zero-party data specifically is the data, and this, this seems odd considering what we just said of like, why would anyone willingly hand over information or data? That doesn't make any sense. But zero-party data is data or information about themselves that customers or consumers are willingly providing, proactively providing to a brand or business, basically specifically to update their preferences or their experiences and enable that type of personalization. And again, speaking of buzzwords, personalization is something we've been talking about in, in marketing and digital marketing for probably five plus years at this point. And you might think, okay, that makes sense, but in what context would someone willingly offer up this very valuable personal data and this private information. A lot of people do care about privacy and it's become a topic and a conversation. Well, one thing would be surveys, you know, good old lifecycle channel, either email surveys. Another good example would be social quizzes or messenger quizzes or shoppable quizzes, which we've also seen a lot of success with, with our clients in particular. Contests would be another good one. Polls or social polls. Also registration forms. You sometimes have them fill out. Instead of doing a guest checkout, you enable uh, them to create an account and all those preferences and what have you. You might also think about any of the interactions they've had directly with your brand on social channels, if they're specifically direct messaging your brand, if there's any sort of customer service or customer experience issue as well. So what this means is there's actually probably a lot more potential avenues of collecting or curating and hopefully collating and actioning this zero-party data that consumers might be willing to give you. Great. So if I'm digesting that correctly, there's two components to zero-party data. There's thinking about the right touch points and surfaces to collect that. And that's information that you're going to own about that customer that they're willingly giving you, right? You gave some good examples there. The other side of it is like, what do you freaking do with that? Which I want to get to in a sec. But just like, I think a very um, practical example of zero party data, we've had a customer forever that they target uh, soon-to-be mothers, and they sell a, a bra specifically for nursing, right? Nursing mothers. And so like their opt-in form, this is, I'm oversimplifying it, but I think it's a good example. Their opt-in form asks for your due date alongside your, your email. 
And so like, that's just one example of how you can get it in. You talked about quizzes. I love that stuff. You know, conversational, like keyword driven text uh, stuff is, is hot right now. So there's a lot of good ways. But then like to tie it together, the second part of it for that brand is that then like they're doing their email nurturing and triggered messages anchored around that one little simple piece of information, which is when that mother is going to be you know, expecting to give birth. It's not that with zero party data, you're just like going for like one important piece of information. Like there's a lot of different things you may try to get preferences on clothing or you know, uh, gender, like there's, there's so many different things, but that I, I like that example. Cause it's just like, it's easy to grasp end to end, you know? Definitely. And you see a lot more effect with this, even between zero party data and first party data, right? So first party data has been floating around forever. And that's something that most brands or businesses were doing, even if they were layering third party data into their ad campaigns. But that would be what you're collecting about your customers, whether they're opening your emails or clicking through or converting from your emails, or if they're following you on social or interacting on social or whether or not they make a purchase or how often they visit your site or what product pages they look at or what types of collections or what have you. The reason there is a difference there is one, there's the voluntary effort of communicating with you and building up this trust between the brand and giving you something very intimate, like your due date, a very highly personal piece of information that is voluntarily being offered up for the sake of personalization and a better customer experience versus you sort of silently creeping and listening and seeing what's going on, which can also be inaccurate because there might be multiple people in a household with the same IP address and even using the same devices that are looking at different collections or different objects. And so the first party data is going to vary greatly from the zero party data. If an individual logs in and tells you, I prefer SMS over email, I only want to hear from you once a week instead of every day, I care most about buying things for myself, I'm female this age, this size, it'll be very different than someone else who happens to be using their computers, browsing around and starts looking at gifts for a different gender or a different age or a different group or a different demographic. That was awesome. I'm just like so glad you came on today, Ashley. We were having some mic troubles to start, but like this is a great episode. So I do want to talk to you about one thing in this context. All the data that we just talked about, first party merged with zero party, hugely valuable. I mean, this is my opinion and I'm just going off the cuff here. Hugely valuable if you've got multiple products that you sell, maybe multiple categories of products that you sell and you're built around multiple repeat orders from a customer, right? Like there are a lot of listeners and brands out there that are a single product company and I think, you know, owned channels and zero party data is still important, but like I wouldn't get crazy with it in that scenario. You know what I mean? I agree. I think it's important for everyone. I don't think a solo product uh, business or brand should ignore it completely. There still are real things to be said there, whether it's a language preference, whether it's a currency preference, a time zone, a frequency, a channel, etc. Also, whether or not it's sort of a high CLTV customer, repeat customer, whether it's a bargain babe or a discount shopper, right? So even if you have a single product, there might still be a lot of different things you could do if you're doing zero and first party data well. But definitely, if you have tens or hundreds or thousands of SKUs, 
and different product lines and different personas, there's even more you could do with this. Yeah, I, I just got off a call with um, Joanne Coffey. She's the retention marketer for Jones Road Beauty. So this is like freshly cemented in my head. And that's a makeup company. So they've got different product categories, different product lines. Ideally, you know, their customers making several orders a year, maybe even once a month, right? And so like, I could see, you know, a very complex web of, of first party data, adding a ton of value to that customer versus um, something that's a, a little bit simpler. So yeah, I, I think, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but it's just something as you're chatting that, that stood out. So what about for your, your clients? Like what sort of strategy are you helping them implement here? Well, so first and foremost, we would love to do an audit and understand how do they currently use data? What types of data and data points have they historically collected or garnered from their customers or prospective customers? What have they done with that information? Do they have a central CRM or database where they're gathering all this information together? And to be clear, I mean from all these different data points. I'm not just talking about their online interactions. I think this first or zero-party data can be even if there's a phone call about a shipping issue or a fulfillment issue, or if there's a chatbot interaction about a return or so even sizing questions, ideally everything is being aggregated all together in one central place. So you have a full view picture or profile of who that customer or prospective customer is that you can access and then leverage in personalization, not only in those marketing campaigns, but in any interaction, customer service or otherwise, with the customer, prospective customer. So it would start from there. Let's audit and see what has already been done, what has already, what has been attempted or considered, what has worked, what hasn't worked, what tools are being used. And then again, tools in particular is important. I mentioned so many different ways you could collect your party data. So do you have a great pop-up on your site? Do you have quizzes or surveys or shoppable quizzes? Do you have a chat or messenger bot? You know, what tool are you using to transcribe or notate any valuable information that's garnered from actual conversations with uh, perhaps a customer service representative, right? So that would be one of it, of course, once you have all the information, then what do you do with it, right? Are you thinking about personalization in lifecycle owned and earned channels? Are you thinking about different triggers, different drip campaigns? You know, your example of beauty or makeup, for example, the possibilities are endless. Even with a few products, you have to take into consideration skin tone, eye color, hair color, hair texture, hair type. You might even have to take into consideration usage. So if any CPG product, even if you don't have a subscription model or they haven't subscribed, you still might want to send out useful reminder emails. Hey, it's been a while since you ordered, you're overdue. And this could be personalized based on looking at their purchase history, not of what the average user of how long it takes them to go through that product, but of how long that specific user typically reorders and starting to remind them. So you got them on a schedule, even if they haven't opted in and subscribed in that way, of course, opted into communication, but subscribe to an actual refill service is what I'm talking about. So the possibilities are endless. Love it. Bringing it back for the listeners, get organized here think about the two components, which is how are you going to collect this? What and why? <laughs> right? And then how are you going to actually use it to improve the experience for the end customer? Like if it's not improving the experience for the end customer, it's not worth getting involved with. But the opportunity here is is huge. So 
actually really appreciate the breakdown, truly. This was a fascinating and super helpful episode for me. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.